Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Come on, why don't we just again just give him a big shout of praise, give him a big clap, give him a big praise. Awesome. And yeah, like Pastor Nate mentioned, there is definitely something special here this morning. And and I really believe that God just so wants each and every one of you to know his heart for you. He wants you to know him in a more intimate way this morning. But he wants you to know that you're such a champion in his eyes, that you are amazing. And so I hope after the message this morning, you will go out pumped for your week. You will feel like God has really met you where you're at and really spoken to you. So Who's been enjoying FAM Goals, this series? Yes. So we, um, we've just been praying into this series and we have really hoped and prayed that it would be such a blessing to you. And we're really believing because the Word of God is active and alive, that when you get that into your life, when you apply the principles that are in that book into your life, that it actually opens heaven over you. It actually does bring blessing into your life because God just wants to bless you. He's got it all there ready to pour it out in your life. It's just us applying those principles to us. And so this morning, I've got a very cool principle that I believe will totally bless you. So in FAM Goals at the very beginning, and I do believe that we talked about it, especially with that competition. Congratulations. I voted for you. I love that one. Sorry, everyone else. I did vote for that one. (laughs) Oh, cool. Hello. (laughs) So at the beginning of this series, we um, rolled out what family actually means these days. and, And I love my blood family. They're awesome. Hi, mum. Hi, Aaron. Um, Love them so much. Um, But the cool thing about family now is that we can actually extend the word fam and family to beyond our blood relatives. All of you are my church family, which is really cool. And then I have a friendship group, which is also my fam. And then I've got people I work with, which is my work fam, like Joe so beautifully displayed on Instagram. So we've got all these different fams. And we've been really touching on um, our immediate family, our blood family. But today I want to bring us a principle from the Word of God that will actually work in every family that you have. Something that's really going to bless every relationship that you have in your life. And I reckon some of you could probably already think about what this principle is. It's the principle of honour. So we've been talking about the different families, but I thought, you know what, let's start talking about the context of our immediate family, that very first community we have when we're born, basically. We're born into a family, and so that's our very first family. So let's talk about honour in this context. Am I talking really fast, or is that just me? It's just me. Okay, awesome. All right, we'll keep up the pace. I love it. Awesome. Okay, so... Parents, I think you would be very familiar with this scripture verse from Exodus. It's one of those first commandments already hearing some giggles. I think Bob's parents may have used this once or twice. Um, But it's the principle, and parents, you can say it with me if you'd like. It goes like this. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I love that. Audi's having a good old laugh at the back there. Maybe pulled it out a couple of times on his sons. But (laughs) we actually often really think about this verse when we talk about honor within the family we think okay great this message is going to be for my kids I get to go home and preach it to them Um, I'm, I'm excited this is going to be good but you know what in Ephesians we actually see this verse come up again but 
Also, so Paul is the author of the Ephesians and he also brings up a few other people within the family unit. He talks to the wives and the husbands as well. So let's see what he says to the wives and the hubbies. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And I know if you're a feminist at all, you'd be like, submit, what? I know, that's a, I know that that is what submission and honouring, that kind of rap it's gotten in our world. But can I tell you, it's actually a really beautiful thing and we're going to find out today. So wives, submit to your own husbands with a big smile on your face as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. As Christ loved the church. I love my husband. He's great. He loves me. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And can I tell you that the husband part is actually a lot longer and a lot more detailed than the wives part because it goes on to talk about this beautiful description of how a husband's love for his wife is is meant to represent Christ's love for his bride, for the church. So as I mentioned, Paul is the author of the Ephesians, and so he's writing this passage of Scripture. What we need to understand to really see how this, see how honour and submission works in the family is to see what kind of context that Paul was writing into. So um, the culture of the day, uh, actually let me backtrack. So what had happened leading up to Paul writing this letter was that Jesus, the Son of God, fascinate beautifully um, talked a bit about him during communion and what he has done so Jesus had come to earth God himself came to earth and he basically rolled out this new way of living this kingdom lifestyle and so Jesus then died on the cross for our sin he was raised to heaven again being victorious over sin and he's seated at the side of the father and so This scripture is taking place after that has happened. Jesus has taught us this new way of living. But the Christians, right, so the church is getting established and there are new Christians who are kind of beginning to to struggle with this new way of living. Because you see, the new way of living, the kingdom way of living, stands in stark contrast to their community, to their society. In the Greco-Roman culture, which is where we find this scripture applied to, is um, a, a kind of culture within the family unit where the man is, yes, the head of his home. But the thing is, he's not the head in the way that he um, looks after everyone in his home. He's definitely responsible for them, but he actually doesn't have to have a shred of concern or care or love for his family. In fact, if his wife or if his son or daughter or servants did something, that was against his will or something he didn't like, he had every right right to beat them. He had every right to even beat them to death. And that was okay in that kind of culture. And so we have here Paul talking to these new Christians saying, hey, this is the way of the gospel. This is the new way of living. Husbands, love your wives. Wow. That is countercultural, right? That's just, the, the men would have been offended. They would have been like, but no, I actually don't need to even deal with my, deal with my wife. Marriage back then was more like a business deal, um, let alone, you know, anything emotional, like an emotional connection or love for one another. And so the husband 
husbands would have found this offensive and found this so, so different to what they're normally used to. But the main thing was that loving their wives, honouring their wives was to actually show value to their wife. Now for the women, for the wives, their allegiance was actually to their blood family. That's who they would have normally submitted to. But now Paul here is saying, submit to your own husbands. I always read that and thought that that was really weird. Submit to your own husband. Like, like you need to specify that, you know what I mean? But no, they actually had to because the woman would come from her blood family, enter into this marriage and for her to do well, for the family to actually become stronger um, and, and really be able to contain the love of God and have that expressed in that family, she had to submit to her husband. And then you have Paul addressing, so wives, children and servants. And the very fact that Paul would actually speak to women, speak to the children and address the servants meant that he was speaking value to them. Because everything would have been directed to the head. Everything would have been directed to the husband or the father. He was the one that would always, you know, be greeted in the town. He was the one that was always spoken to and addressed when addressing the house. But the very fact that Paul, the very fact that God wanted Paul to speak to everyone else under the head of the house meant that God valued every individual in the family. And so we can take from this that God's intention for our children within the families is to be brought up in a, in a home where there is honour, where they're actually being honoured, where they're learning to honour. Because then when they grow up, they will be honouring people and they will be receiving honour as well. And you know what? When you grow up with that sense of being honoured, with really knowing who you are, that you are worth something, that you are valuable to God, when you grow up with that, you don't tend to compromise, do you? you you don't tend to when you go off to work or with those friends or off to study when you're in positions where you could compromise who you are you tend to not because you know that you are valued to God you are worth something more than the world could offer you so imagine if we had kids being raised in these houses where they are shown honor they're shown value and, you know, we have such a struggle today still of women trying to um, be equal with men out in the world, out in the workplace. Um, and we've come so far already. But how awesome would it be if our women knew that they were honoured, that they were treated with love and respect, that they didn't have to fight for these things? This is the kind of intention that God actually had for our houses. And he intended husbands to be honoured, to be supported, to actually be lifted up, to be strengthened and encouraged to lead his family the way that God had ordained him to. So that's the power of honour within, within um, the family unit. You know, you might want to think about, hey, what are some ways that you can honour the people that you live with? You know, we've got Shelley boarding with us and so we count her in as our family. Um, but something really little, and I just want to throw some practicals out this morning just so we can go on this journey together. You know, for me, um, I think, I can't remember whether we were engaged or whether we were married, but this was when Pastor Nate and I were working at our previous church, Centerpoint Church. And I distinctly remember this day where um, I must have gotten uh, started to work throughout our lunchtime, like just kind of push that boundary a little bit. 
because I remember Nate telling me, coming to me one day and asking if I could get both of our meals ready by the time it hit 12 o'clock or lunchtime, whatever it was. And the very first thought I had was <laughs> that emotional response of, how dare he? <laughs> we are colleagues here. <laughs> I've got so much work to do. My work is just as important as him. I get that we're married or engaged, forget what it was. But, um, and you know, that's cool for the home, but we're at work here. We are colleagues. He has no right to ask me to get his food prepared for a certain time, blah, 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 blah. And then you know, after you get over the emotional part, you begin to think, right? It's great to think. It's awesome. Not just feel. Um, so when I thought about it, I thought, wow, what Nate was actually doing was giving me a hint, was giving me a clue as to how he received honour, how I could, as his wife or fiancé, really honour him and lift him up and serve him well. And so I was actually really thankful for that, for that day, for that moment, because um, even to this day, there's this thing that has really stuck with me that Nate, um, if you get food for him or something like that, you know, like that speaks honour to him. It's probably the same for all men, right? Guys, yeah? There you go, wives. There you go. Helped you out. So that's really stuck with me. And even today, just a practical thing. Um, when it comes to dinner time, I'm reminded of this principle of honour and how it works. So at dinner time, Nate will always call out, usually from playing FIFA in the other room. He'll always call out, hey, do you need help with anything? And I'll be like, no, it's all good, all right. And so if I'm preparing dinner, I'll make sure that his dinner's plated up first. It's just a real practical thing. And that always reminds me that he's the head of this house. He's the one that I should be showing honour to. And that's my little way of doing that. I make sure that he gets his meal first. So <laughs> I can see a few like husbands being like, <laughs> I like that. I like that idea. But that is honestly so little, so practical. But I know that to this day, that's what speaks honour to my husband. So maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're um, a child in your house, maybe you're a spouse in the house. Why don't you have a conversation with your family and actually ask them, hey, what honours you? What what can I do where, um, you know, you'll receive honour, where you feel like I really value you and, and yeah, you, you're worth something to me. Have that conversation and I really think that as you get that going in your family life, man, that's going to bless you so much. It's going to be awesome so that's that's honor in our family context so the second context I want to talk to you about is honor amongst church family honor amongst brothers and sisters in Christ in Romans 12 10 it says be devoted to one another with authentic brotherly affection as members of one family give preference to one another in honor so again Paul is preaching to the audience um He's, he's helping them to see this is how the gospel is outworked in your life. And the thing with honour is that brotherly love, it, that's the motive behind it. That's what fuels your ability to honour. And so as I was preparing this message, the best example came to mind of what this brotherly love looks like. And it's found in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18. And it actually talks about David and Jonathan's friendship. I don't know how many of you are familiar with them, but um, David is, we usually know him as King David of the Old Testament. So 
in this scripture, I just want to set the scene for you a little bit. The Israelites, which was the nation that David and Jonathan belonged to, they were Israelites. But the Israelites were face to face with their enemy. They were in battle against the Philistines. And so what the Philistines did, they they brought out their champion, Goliath, who was this big giant of a man. Um, they brought him out. They sent him out and said, you know, you basically deal with the enemy. You take care of him. So David was actually looking after his dad's sheep, but he'd be going in between the battle because he's like, I don't want to miss this. This is a battle. So I'll do what I need to. I'll work. I'll look after the sheep and then I'll run in my spare time, go see what's going on and run back. And so David was there at this point where Goliath was sent out, but Goliath started to trash talk the Israelites. And what's more, he started to trash talk David's God, our God. And so David's there. He's only a youth. He's, he's, I don't know how old he'd be, but the Bible says he's a youth, right? So he's young, but he's all like, nah, you can't trash talk my God. How dare you? And so he's getting all like game face on. He's getting ready to just go in there. And so King Saul, so the king, and he's also the commander of the army. He calls David up to where he is viewing the battle. And David's all like, let me get, let me go. Let me at him. Like I'll take him down. It's all good. But King Saul, he's, you know, he's had his days in the army and at war and so he's this warrior he knows he knows a thing or two but he's looking at David this youth and he's like oh my goodness who does this kid think he is he does not have a clue as to what's going on um and so he he's like oh, all right you know I'll give you a go and so King Saul takes off his armor that he was wearing and tries to put it on David but David being a youth it's like no this is not gonna fit he's like it's all good. Let me do my thing. I, I've got this. I've got this down. I can do this. And so David goes out, kills Goliath, Goliath with um, a sling and a stone, just hits him. The giant goes down and Israel has won that battle. It's, it's awesome. The Israelites are rejoicing. It's all cool. King Saul, I can imagine that he's just like, what has just happened? Absolutely in disbelief. He calls David to him. And he says, where do you come from? And he's just asking all these questions and stuff. And there in, in that place was also King Saul's son, Jonathan. And this is where we pick up the conversation and what happens. So 1 Samuel 18 says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, so Saul and Saul, don't get confused. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This is like brotherly love. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. So Saul was basically like, you're with me to David. You're with me. You're going to come along. No need to go home. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So here we have David, a shepherd boy turned soldier. We have King Saul who, um, yeah, King Saul. He's just there. And then we have Jonathan, his son, who, being the son of the king, would be in line for the throne, right? And Jonathan himself have, has had a few you know, battles behind him. He's also a good soldier. And David and Jonathan are, are 
the Bible talks about them being quite alike. Maybe they were alike in stature, maybe they were around the same age, but they kind of had that same um, love for God and, and, you know, they were matched in terms of soldiers and their ability. And so we have King Saul promoting David straight away off the bat after defeating that, that giant. You know, if I was Jonathan and hearing, listening into that conversation, I would feel pretty threatened. I would feel like this guy has come from the fields tending his sheep. He comes in, takes down a giant. All right, it was a giant. I'll give him that. He took him down. One guy, I've fought my many battles, and yet my dad, the king, he promotes him just like that. You know, I would have been feeling really threatened, but this passage is so beautiful because something, and I believe it's supernatural, something takes hold of Jonathan's heart. This love, this brotherly affection that he does something that is actually such a beautiful picture of honor towards David. You know, King Saul, he took off his armor, gave it to David, but it wasn't fitting. It just it didn't work, and I think King Saul would know that. And I think what King Saul wanted to do was maybe offer counterfeit honor. I think maybe he wanted David to be put back in his place. I think maybe he wanted David to kind of sober up a little bit and, and really realize that he was just a youth. He wasn't able to take down this giant in front of him. But what was beautiful about Jonathan's honor was that in the face of comparison, in the face of maybe, um, yeah, being, being compared to him and maybe losing out against David, he chooses to take off his own armor and he places it on David and it fitted well. And you know what? I believe that this act of honor is so supernatural because David then goes on to be successful. After this moment where David would have been in his shepherd clothing, he would have been in maybe a tunic with a sash and then a little belt thing, but Jonathan had the whole kit and he chose to remove it, chose to remove this armor that would have been bestowed upon him as an, as an honorable thing. He removed it and he placed it on David. You know, in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters of Christ, often we can get into that trap of comparing ourselves. Often we want to be running the race of the other person and we look at other people's gifts and talents and things like that and we think, oh, what can I do so that I get a bit of fame? What can I do so that I get a little bit of glory? But the thing is, our goal is actually to be in unity. Our goal is to actually be stirring each other on. So maybe there are people in your life where you feel a little bit threatened by them. You feel like, you know, you're constantly comparing yourself. Can I encourage you to do something supernatural to turn that situation around? Can I encourage you to actually honor them, work out how you can add to their life? You know, Jonathan was saying, you will need this soldier's armor. You will need this. I can take this from me and I can give this to you so that you can see success, so that you can run further, so that you can go and do the things that God is calling you to do. Maybe there are people in your world that you are feeling threatened by or compared to, but God is actually saying you need to honour them. You actually are going to be a massive champion of who they are and the race that they're running. And equally, let's get a little bit selfish right now. <laughs> equally, who are the people in your life that are championing you? Who are the people in your life that are honouring you, that are actually building and adding value to you, to your race? You know, think about the friendship circles that you surround yourself with. Are they adding value to you? Are you walking away from your interactions with them feeling honoured? 
feeling like, hey, I've got courage, I can do this. Or, you know, are you coming away feeling something else? Can I encourage you? Think about the people in your world. Are you bringing honour to them? Are you adding value to their life and are they adding value to you? So that's the power of honour amongst us as brothers and sisters in Christ. The very last context I wanted to talk to you about today is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Because let's face it, all of our relationships in our lives, they, they can be quite second rate if we don't have that relationship with our God coming first. In Hebrews 3, 7 to 19, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. You see, what's going on in this passage is that God had made a covenant with Israel. God so wanted to be in relationship with his people, but a righteous God could not be in relationship with man who had sin in their heart. And so he created this covenant just so he could be in relationship with them, where if the Israelites obeyed his laws, did what was right and just, then he would promise to bless them and give them a land of their own, a land where they could be free from their enemies, Enemies. They could be free from, from all persecution and, and everything that could harm them. That was the covenant. That was the promise. And you know, even though God was so patient with Israel, He showed him love. He showed them protection. He showed them provision time and time again. Israel did not remain faithful. And what happened was, and often I see this happening in my life, that when, when things are not going the way that we planned them to go, the Israelites faced this time and time again, where they came up against tough situations, they, they instead didn't lift up the name of God over their life. Instead of honouring, they would often dishonour God. They would often stop seeing Him as sovereign, mighty God, and they'd start to become contentious. They'd start to um, grumble. The, the Bible actually says that they grumbled often against the Lord. And instead of lifting Him up, instead of honouring Him, they would often dishonour him. You know, in my life, especially um, this year, well, this year and last year, Pastor Nate and I have been praying about moving here to Vic Park, moving our house, but also that we would start our family. And early this week, on yeah, on Monday, um, I made a doctor's appointment because not not to get gross or anything, but I had been the latest in my cycle, the latest I'd ever been, and so we were it was looking up like we we were quite hopeful that we were pregnant spoiler alert we're not so yeah sorry for the moms that were all like <laughs> on the edge of their seat <laughs> spoiler alert thought I'd tell you that but the principle here is good um so we yeah we it was awesome we were like wow we could actually have a baby like we could this is awesome and so we went, um, I got blood tests done, got the results the next day and, and my mum was there with me. And as soon as I hit the chair, the doctor said, so the results are negative. <laughs> and we were both a bit like, whoa, woman, like let me get comfy first at least, gosh. But anyway, so in the midst of this 
trying in the midst of this praying and speaking to God and just making our requests known to God. And the Bible often says, pray when you're anxious, pray when you're feeling happy, pray when everything's going well, pray when everything sucks, pray. And so this is what we had been doing. But the thing was that after a while, it gets difficult. After a while, you feel like you can't hear God's voice anymore. Disappointments happen. And it's in these moments that our hearts want to retreat. We want to grow distant, right? Do you, are you connecting with me here? Yeah, you want to you wanna become distant. But the thing is, and what we saw in the Israelites, their rebellion was that they distanced themselves from God. They became hardened in their heart. And because they didn't honour God and were active in that in the face of trial, they actually did not receive the promise of this land, the promise of this freedom that God had for them. You know, rebellion in our heart, when we choose to dishonor God instead of honoring Him in our trials and when things are going well, it has a price. You see, the freedom for the Israelites was that land. That was their inheritance. That's what God was going to give them. But for us today, our freedom is freedom from sin. Our, Our freedom today is the fact that the We have an enemy and he wants to steal, kill and destroy from our lives. But the fact is that what we get to inherit is freedom from that, freedom from his power, freedom from sin. But the thing is, in those moments, if we harden our heart, if we dishonor God, that is compromised. And so this morning, what I want to encourage you, I don't know where you're at, but I get the sense that God wants you to know that He has first honoured you, but you need to be active in honouring Him in your life, especially when times are tough, because it's so powerful. It can cut across the rebellion that your heart, that our human heart so desires to go towards, but it cuts across that and it allows us to connect with God over our victories and over the troubling times. But you know what? I want you to get this understanding that God first honoured you. In Philippians 2 verse 5 to 11, it says, Have this mind among yourselves. Again, we're getting this instruction of how to live out the gospel, of how to live this new way of life. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Listen to these words, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of you and I, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. This is God becoming man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we often forget is that Jesus 
is God. Jesus was God and He humbled Himself. He came not to be served, but He came to serve. He came to serve us, you and I, so that He could take our sin on the cross. He could take it to the grave and then rise victorious. And you know what the awesome news is? Is that we are co-heirs with Christ. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are no longer servants. We're no longer, you know, the dirt on the ground, but God has raised us up to be on that level where Christ sits. We are co-heirs with Christ. Man, that is good news. I don't know why you don't look more excited than you do, because this is awesome news. God wants you to know this morning that you are so valuable to Him, that He sent His Son, His own Son, to die for you to die for your sin. And this morning, if you don't have a relationship with God, I would love to introduce you to Him. It's as easy as confessing, actually being real with yourself and saying, hey, I have sinned because we all have. But the thing is, now you can have a saviour from that sin. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to lead you in this moment. And if I can invite the band to come up and help me, that'd be great. So the Bible is very clear how we can begin our own relationship with God. It simply starts with acknowledging that we have sinned, believing that Jesus Christ came, He died for our sin and He rose again victorious, and then confessing that you want to begin this relationship with Him, confessing that He indeed is the Saviour of your life. So this morning, if you're not right with God, if you haven't begun your own relationship with God, but you would like to, then I would love it if you would raise your hand just to tell me that, yep, you want to make this decision. And then afterwards, I'd love to hook you up with a Bible because the Bible is God's word for us, for our lives. And it's so, so important on our walks as Christians. And so I'm going to count to three and then you can just pop your hand up quickly, give me a wave and then we'll pray together. I'll lead you in that prayer. One, two, three. If you want to begin your relationship with God today or if you want to recommit your life to Him right now, just raise your hand. Awesome. Fantastic. All right, I would love to just lead us all in a prayer. So repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I believe you to be the Savior. And I ask you to come into my heart and save me from my sin. I thank you that you love me and want to know me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.